prepared tonight will be helpful to you in your daily walk. We've been studying in Colossians chapter 3, so if you want to get out your Bibles and turn there. Uh, we looked at the first part of this text this morning, and we're going we're gonna to finish uh, looking at this text this evening. Uh, just to remind those uh, who were here and also to let those who weren't here know, in the first four verses of Colossians chapter 3, we have a transition from all about Christ and all about the work that, that God did in bringing us Christ and the preeminence of Christ as He was uh, brought to save us and to, to provide for us all the fulfillment that we need. Uh, in chapter 3, we have a transition into uh, what we're supposed to do in response to that. He said in verse 4, When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. And in response to that, He has told us to set our minds on things above, not on things that are on the earth. This morning we, we looked at what are the earthly things? What are the things that are of the earth that, that we might set our minds on? And we kind of saw how, yeah, we struggle with those things. Uh, covetousness and anger uh, and lying. I mean, they, these things uh, are, are seen throughout our daily walk. They keep coming back in throughout our lives. And, and we're constantly battling with the old man that wants to return and to, to take over and to go back to the way things are. But none of those things really satisfy us. We need to be focused on things above, not on things on the earth. Uh, we need to put the things that are on the earth to death. Uh, tonight we're going to be trying to understand better what are the things that are above and what is it that, that the Christian needs to do and how does a Christian need to act. Uh, what, what should a Christian look like? If we were looking in a crowd of people, how would we know a Christian from a non-Christian? What, what would stand out about the Christian from the non-Christian? Well, the generic answer would be, well, the Christian's going to be more like Jesus, right? That's, that's the generic answer. But what we see in this text as we study tonight is that Paul gives us a little bit more information of, about that. Uh, what it is that, that makes a Christian really a Christian, that, that makes a Christian stand out from all those who are living after the things of this world. Uh, Jesus said in John 15, 18 through 19, He said, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Jesus points out uh, that, yeah, you're going to be like me, but he's pointing to the fact that the thing that, that's going to make you like me is not going to be welcomed in the world around us. And it's very fascinating as we study tonight, we're going to see something that really should make the world embrace Christians. Uh, but the sad truth is it doesn't. Uh, people don't like what, what we're supposed to be and who we are trying to be as we walk our Christian life. Let's start reading uh, in Colossians chapter 3 and start to get a picture of what Paul says about uh, what is this spiritual mind really focused on and how, what, what characterizes a Christian. Verse 12, Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. So 
here's some characteristics for us uh, about what a Christian looks like. And here we have seven different attributes of a Christian. First of all, he says, compassionate hearts. Think for a minute about what it, what it would look like, who, who you know of, who has a compassionate heart. What is a compassionate heart doing? They're longing for those who are weaker or those who are helpless to find the help they need. They're, they're willing to go through and, and do what might need to be done to lift up those who are falling. And they're, they're willing to show some act of kindness, which is the second thing that he mentions here. This, this reminds me so much of the parable of the Good Samaritan who used all of his time and energy and resources to bring a stranger up whenever he was at his lowest point. He'd been beaten and, and, and robbed. And, and he provided for all of the man's needs. You see the compassion and the kindness of this man. But also he says humility. And he says meekness. And he says patience. And these three things are kind of interconnected as well. You think about someone who is humble. Somebody who doesn't think much of themselves but thinks more of other people than they think of themselves. That someone else is greater than, than they are. Uh, you think about meekness. Being willing to hold back and not uh, push through and, and push beyond some, what somebody needs to hear. To overpower someone even though it's within their ability to do so. And patience. I mean, what is patience? Uh, do we know what patience is? Uh, do we have patience? Well, this is the idea of being able to bear with and forgive and, and allow for those who are around us who make mistakes, allow for time for them to correct their mistakes, for them to grow, to, to change, to become as Christ is over time. This is not an instantaneous process, but that this is something that that people are going to make mistakes and we need to be patiently bearing with them and forgiving them. Even if what, they, what we have against them is right. Notice he says, if, if one has a complaint against another, if, even if you've got a good complaint, a good reason for complaining, the one who is humble and meek and patient is willing to forgive that person as the Lord has forgiven you. This is, these are seven characteristics that we find uh, that, that help us to see what a Christian is supposed to look like. This is the way Christ walked on the earth. This is the way He lived. And this is the way we're supposed to follow. And what He does next is interesting. After saying all of these seven characteristics, He gives us one characteristic that is above all. Look at verse 14. He says, And above all these, put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony or to perfection. Think about this for a minute. Think about this word, love. He says love binds everything together. Love is like this belt that, that binds all of these things to us. Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience. All of these things are being bound to us as we show love, and, and they're, they're binding us to one another. Love is something that he, he points out in, in other texts is greater than faith and greater than hope. Love is in the greatest two commandments. Love is this wonderful attribute that's supposed to characterize all of the Christians, all of those who follow after Christ, and help us to, to be made perfect. Help us to strive toward maturity or complete maturity like Christ is mature and complete. 
Love is a great attribute for the Christian to have because it it helps them to become more like God, who is love. So love is a big deal for us, but what is love? And, And how are we supposed to put on love? Well, think about this. Love is, is not just something that we, we just decide, I'm going to love you. But it's something that we need to learn somehow. I mean, we need to understand more clearly what it is that God wants from us. And, and how are we going to describe love? Well, Paul describes it in 1 Corinthians 13. We could go there and see all these things that Paul describes love. But... Look at how Paul describes it. He doesn't go into 1 Corinthians 13, description of love. Instead, he says something else. In verse 15, he says, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. How does that help us with this idea of uh, Christians are supposed to put on compassion and hearts and patience and humility and, and put on above all these things love? Why would he tell us this after that? Why would he tell us uh, that we need the peace of Christ ruling in our hearts? How does that help us to love? Does that have anything to do with love? Well, what is the peace of Christ? And what does it mean for the peace of Christ to rule in our hearts. That's a loaded phrase, isn't it? That's a deep phrase. That's, that's, that takes some time to think about and to digest. And when we start thinking about it, we understand it's the peace that Christ is bringing us through what He has done. You go back in Colossians chapter 1 and look at verse 20. It just finished talking about Christ and all that Christ has done. And it says, uh, And through Him... God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Notice the words, making peace by the blood of his cross. This text helps us to understand what he's talking about. What, what is the peace of Christ? And why do we need to have it ruling on our hearts? Well, the peace of Christ is the peace that Christ brings us, the reconciliation that Christ has brought us through shedding his blood on the cross. That's what's supposed to be ruling in our hearts. Think about that. The, the blood of Christ, the blood that was shed as, as Christ hung up on the cross, as he, as he suffered and died, that blood that was shed that is now able to pay the ransom price for our sins, that is able to atone for our sins, the blood that was shed for those who murdered him, the peace that Christ has brought us with God through his sacrifice is supposed to reign on our hearts. Jesus has shown us the ultimate act of love. His sacrifice is a sacrifice that that demonstrates for us what love really is. Helps us to understand what love is. Without us having this sacrifice, 
in, in our day and time, we would be tempted to think that love is like all the romantic movies say love is. I mean, have you watched one of those lately and seen what they, they imply? It's, it's like love is some kind of a intuitive feeling we have that somebody's going to make us feel good. That doesn't make sense. <laughs> An idea that this person is my true love. I was reading a, a storybook to Naomi and there's that idea of love at first sight and true love and all this stuff. And, you know, it doesn't work that way. Uh, we think that we're intuitively knowing that this person is going to make us happy for the rest of our lives when, in fact, it's going to be more like a roller coaster. But look at what we have here. This is the ultimate act of love. That Jesus, who is God would come down to earth to live as a servant, that he would teach us and that he would heal and that he would help us as, as much as he could and that he would allow us to murder him, that his blood might be shed on the cross of all things to forgive us of our sins. That's love. This is what love is. And this is what God has sought to show us. So, above all, he says, put on love. Well, the, then he says, let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. Do we now see? The peace of Christ ruling in our hearts is the only way for us to understand what love is and for us to put on love. So, the question is, do we let the peace of Christ rule on our hearts all day and every day? Are we considering, are we meditating on what God has done for us? Is the work God has done for us through the cross setting us free from our anger and setting us free from our covetousness, setting us free from all of the, the sins that we're wrapping ourselves up with? Is it helping us to show love toward other people? Is it guiding us and showing us where we need to go and who we need to talk to and what we need to do? Does the love of God shown to us through Christ motivate every action we take? That's what he's talking about. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. The peace of Christ, the peace that Christ brings to us is supposed to direct our actions and help us to show love toward others. It's forming a heart that shows that love. It's, it's, it's molding our heart. It's transforming our heart. It's impacting our heart so that it becomes much more open and accepting and loving toward those who may not necessarily deserve it. So this is what we must do. How are we going to put on love? We have to meditate on the love that God has shown to us. When we leave this place, we still need to take with us the peace of Christ, the peace that Christ has brought us, and it needs to rule our hearts every day. But that's not all he says. Look at verse 16. He says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Notice, again, it kind of seems as though this is going another direction, but let's think about 
what he's saying here. This is another deep statement. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Well, what does that mean? We need to let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. What is the word of Christ? Is it the word love? Is that that it? (laughs) No, he's talking about the totality of Christ's word. The totality of everything that, that Christ has said and done on the earth. And also, I would say, it includes everything that has been said about Christ. The Word of Christ is everything about Jesus that we read in the Old and the New Testament. And when Jesus was on the earth, He actually said on the road to Emmaus that He was starting with Moses and revealing to them all that it said about Him. The Old Testament has a lot to say about who Jesus is and the prophets and who God is. And the New Testament as well. So the word of Christ is the totality of what's been revealed to us about Christ because the word of Christ is the image of God, who is love. See how this all works around to helping us understand love. What does the word of Christ reveal? Well, it helps us see God is love. When Jesus comes onto the earth, he is the image of God. He is the the mirror, the representation of God walking on the earth. And what do we see out of him? We see love. Paul says to let that information dwell in us richly. All of this that we read, all of this that we study, that's all pointing us to Jesus and what Jesus has done and what Jesus came to do is supposed to live inside of us. And he says it's supposed to live in there richly. This means that there's more for us to understand about God than we could ever really fit inside. If our perspective is that we've set aside a little place in our mind for the things of God and and that the rest of our mind can be focused on, I don't know, statistics for baseball or or nice cars or whatever that that you might fill your mind. If that's the way we thought that maybe just a little compartment over here can be for God and the things that I need to know about God, we need to understand the way Paul is wording this. The, the knowledge about God is beyond what can fit inside of us. And he's telling us it needs to fit and it needs to be put inside of us so much that it is richly inside of us. Well, that means we have to accommodate the word coming in. We have to make room for God's word in our lives. We have to make time to study his word, to understand it better. And, and we need this Word. This Word helps us to grow so that we know Jesus. Because to know Jesus is to know God, and to know God is to know love, because God is love. Above all these things, we're supposed to put on love. Well, how are we ever going to come to put on love? Well, we have to know the Word. And the Word has to live inside of us. I like the way um, John MacArthur put it. I was uh, reading his commentary. It says, when they cut us, we bleed Bible verses. (laughs) I thought that was a pretty cool image to think about. There's an idea here that no matter how much much time we spend studying and, and diving into the Word, we'll never spend enough. We need to have it richly inside of us. We need to be filled with His Word and understanding it. Because that's going to help us in putting on love, which is what we're here to do. 
So obviously, studying the Word is a big deal. How can we put, on these, thi- put these things in us? Well, we need to study the Word. If we're going to let the peace of Christ reign in our hearts, we need to understand and be thinking about and, and seeing the peace that Christ has brought us. We need to see how bad we are, that we deserve death, but He gave us peace. And we need to be studying the Word. And so whenever we keep reading, we see he says that. He says in verse 16, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. We put the Word inside of us. We put the peace of Christ reigning on our heart as we get together and we study the Word together. That's a major part of of putting on love. We're developing our abilities to teach and developing our abilities to listen to to the things that are being taught. Developing our abilities to apply these things to our lives and, and evaluate ourselves and determine where we need to change. But he also says something else in this text. He says... Uh, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. And then he says, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. He gives a lot of value to our songs. I think sometimes we, we don't value our songs as much as we ought to. We can easily come in here and, and just sing to sing because it's what we do. But... What he's pointing to here is that our songs have a great value in accomplishing this. In getting the peace of Christ reigning on our heart. In getting the word of Christ inside of us. What are the songs that we sing? Are they not the truths of Scripture condensed and uh, compiled in a way that is rememberable? I mean, that's, that's essentially what we're doing. As we come together, we're, we're basically reading little short commentaries that we're going to remember, that are easy for us to remember, that we're going to get to take with us out into the world that are going to remind us of the things that the Bible has said, that the Word of Christ can be in us richly and the peace of Christ can rule our hearts. And the more that we understand that, the more excited we can become about our songs, about our singing together. Because what we see is these things that we're reading and studying and and speaking to one another are becoming part of us. They're molding our heart. They're molding our behavior and helping us to grow. And that's the way that our songs should be viewed. That they're helping us to grow and to develop our hearts to serve the Lord. You think about the great songs that have been written in the past. Think about Amazing Grace and the words of that song and how powerful those words are in transforming our hearts. I remember whenever I was younger, I I tried to do internet debating a little bit. And uh, this is probably the reason why I stopped. But um, I I was talking to a guy and I was being a little self-righteous as uh, I was when I was younger. And I was trying to tell him all these things that he needed to change about his life and all that stuff. And then he just said, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus and his righteousness. I was like, oh, okay. I'm being a little self-righteous, aren't I? (laughs) And it just stuck in my head. And now that tendency of mine to to be self-righteous, it's... going down because my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus and His... That song that I had sung, I had never really taken it in, but Him bringing it up reminded me of it, and it's powerful. It's in my head, and I'm thinking about it. That's where my hope is found. And we can, we can argue and fuss and fight about little things, but 
My hope is found in Jesus. And that's what he was pointing out to me. And our songs were a great way to turn our hearts to the truth. And they can be used like that. But he doesn't end there. He also says that we need to have thankfulness in our hearts to God. This is a way for us to to grow in love and to put uh, the peace of Christ on our hearts and the word of Christ inside of us to just be thankful. To just be looking at everything we have with appreciation. If we were to list all the blessings that God has given us in our lives and hold it up next to the struggles and the, the trials of our life, we'll see that the blessings are much greater even though we probably overlooked a million blessings in our life. We have so much to be thankful for. And all of that appreciation is supposed to help mold us and help us to, to trust in God and to put Him first in our lives. We need to become thankful in every situation that we're in uh, because of what God has done for us. He's done so much to help us to grow and to become more and more loving in our lives and more appreciative of what He's done. Less covetous, less angry, but more caring and loving for Him and for His creation. When we look at what God has done, how could we not have appreciation for it? Uh, this is, this is a, an extremely thing, an extremely important thing for us to continually be putting in front of us. So to wrap it up, we need to see that Christians are different because we have the peace of Christ ruling in our hearts. We have the word of Christ dwelling inside of us richly that, that changes us and molds us to be like Christ. Look with me at the last verse, verse 17. He says, And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. All of the things that we do are now being guided and directed by the love of God and the love of Christ that is now living inside of us and helping us to grow and to to understand how we should love our spouse. Think about it. How would God want me to live with my spouse? How would he want me to love our, my spouse? He goes on and talks about that. And then uh, how would we love our, our children? How would we love our parents? How would we love our employers or employees? He's training us. He's helping us to see as, as we enter into all these different situations in life that the love of Christ should be seen in us in every word and every act that we do. That we're, we're able to shine a light and be different from the world around us. Sadly, uh, the world will not appreciate that. <laughs> and that's what Jesus did. He came on the earth. He showed great love, compassion, mercy, and care for those who would murder him. So even though God's love has been poured out on us, and even though the world will reject us whenever we try to emulate that love, we find in Jesus the motivation to keep pressing on to showing love for those who may not love us and to become who God has called us to be. God has blessed us abundantly in our lives, and we we don't deserve anything that, that we've been given. But how do we act in response to his love for us? Throughout this text we've been studying, he's telling us, put to death what is earthly inside of us and to put on love. Look at verse 12 again. 
He says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Notice that little side note. It's so easy to to bypass these little side notes as we're reading through Scripture. But Paul gives us this little side note that encourages us, even though it's hard to put off what is earthly and to put on Christ and the love of Christ, he encourages us by calling us God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. God has shown us great love and compassion, and he has shown us he wants us to be his children. He wants us to be like him, and he wants us to receive his grace and his love with all the thankfulness that our hearts can muster, and to live our lives as as pleasing as we can to him, considering what he has done for us, constantly meditating on what Christ and, and God have provided us. Have you started your walk with God and Christ? Have you put on love and put off the earthly things, or are you still living in it? It's, it's a decision that we all have to make, and as we're dealing with life, it can be cast by the wayside, but think about this for a minute. Think about what God has done to show His love for us. Are we really going to neglect that? Or are we going to show that we love Him back? The greatest commands are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Is this our life mission? If you've not put on Christ and received His blessing and started your walk down that path, we want to encourage you in any way we can. If you need a a Bible study, uh, we'd we'd be happy to study with you, talk to you, help you in any way we can. Uh, Let us know what what you need and we'll be happy to help you. Uh, If there's anybody here who needs to obey the gospel and you know what you need to do, please don't wait before it's too late. Please come as we